Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, the Gospel of John. Um, I'm kind of winding down into, or from rather, a series that we've been in for quite some time now through the gospel, a series entitled Love, where we've talked about uh, the love of God. And the reason I entitled the series this is because the gospel of John is written by the Apostle John, who was nicknamed and known as the Beloved. Uh, He was most likely the youngest of all the disciples. He probably uh, had the closest personal relationship with the Lord Jesus of any of the disciples on the earth. And he had the nickname, the Beloved. So you have a gospel, a good news account that is written by one nicknamed the Beloved. It is written so that you might believe, John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 tells us so that you might believe and become the beloved, that you might know about the love of God and receive him to become the beloved. So that that has been our theme throughout. And uh, I've talked about the love of God being a complete love, that God has loved us Really in four ways, he's loved us first before we loved him. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that he loved us completely already. Secondly, he loves us in a way that is true. God doesn't just address an emotional need or some felt need, but rather he loves us according to the truth of his word. And I'll talk a little bit more about that this morning. Because when he loves us, he meets the whole need of our life, not just some aspect of that need. God has loved us most. And the way that we talk about that is that he has forgiven us of our sin. Everything that has separated us from him in Jesus Christ is removed. There is nothing separating us from God in Jesus. And we can enjoy ongoing, continual communion with him. And as Tyler mentioned a while ago from Jeremiah 33.3, God has loved us from everlasting to everlasting. That means God loved you before you were you, but he knew you by name. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And so that's what we've talked about. Well, today, I want to encourage us with four exhortations from Jesus. Four exhortations. And I'll begin this way. Have you ever had an encounter that really changed your life? An encounter with someone that that changed your life? Uh, I remember a number of years ago hearing uh, an evangelist talk about Uh, He and his wife were eating in a hard rock cafe in Orlando, Florida one night. And there was a lot of stirring on the other side of the restaurant. He was facing it and didn't know what in the world was going on. And his wife had her back to it. She got up and went to the restroom. And when she came back, she was really rattled. I I couldn't catch her breath, couldn't talk. I mean, he was like, what in the world has happened? And she starts pointing to where everybody else is kind of, you know, all the activity. And he said, man, I didn't have any clue what was going on. Some guy sitting over there with a a, a fedora hat kind of tipped to the side and down front and wore a white glove on one hand. I'm going to give you a minute to think about that one. Michael Jackson. Okay. All right. That finds no relevance to this group. 
I was hoping you would be old enough for that to at least settle in a little bit. Uh, You know, his wife was completely undone by being in the presence of the king of pop, but uh, he didn't even was when he was told what his name was. So, you know, we all have these encounters and experience them differently, do we not? But I will say this, every person who calls himself a Christian has had an encounter that's been life-changing. And the one that we've encountered, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one we see today. And I want us to see these four exhortations by four encounters that he has At the end of his time on earth, just before he ascends back into heaven, and to see what it is that he teaches his disciples about his love, that we can learn so that we can live as we've been loved by him as well. The big idea I want you to walk with today is just simply this, that Jesus leads Christ followers to live in his kingdom mission by perfect abiding love. Let's go to verse 19 of John chapter 20, and I'll begin reading there. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. In this first encounter, what we have is what I would call Jesus' first, last time of appearance to his disciples. He appears to them all, and he's winding down, and he'll only have a few more appearances before he ascends back into heaven. When we read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even Luke's historical account of the book of Acts, each of those accounts has what we have come to know as the Great Commission. It is where Jesus' final mandate is given to his disciples for their, shall we say, marching orders in serving his mission in the world. And each one of those holds some kind of distinctive nature or focus in the way that it is translated or the way that it is given to the disciples. And when John records the Great Commission, he records it out of this idea of Jesus' complete love of God for us. And he tells us that Jesus gives Christians peace and, and power to serve his redemptive purpose in the world. You see, Jesus and his last words were to tell his followers that they would serve his redemptive mission in the world. His love informs us, friends. His love empowers us to live for his glory. And what we begin to see today from each of these encounters is a different aspect of the complete, perfect, abiding love of God that exhorts us to live as we've been loved. The first encounter that we see is that Jesus loves us 
first as he comes to the disciples. And the exhortation that we take from that is simply this, that Christ follower, Jesus commissions you to live for his kingdom mission. Don't miss this, friends. Don't miss this. It's critical for life. You know, if ever there were a plan, one might say, um... Maybe we should reconsider this. It would be God's plan for his glory on the earth after Jesus left, right? I mean, to date, his disciples have demonstrated no real competence to fulfill his mission. There's nothing about what we've seen in the life of Peter or or any of the other disciples that go, man, you're really prepared to do everything God's given you to do, aren't you? I mean, again, even once more today, we'll see that Peter's best at just being Peter, talking before he thinks, acting before he's really considered what he's doing. But here's the thing that we must settle into here. Jesus, knowing the disciples, never hesitates about giving his mission to them. Never hesitates. Knowing who they are. Jesus' confidence in his mission through his disciples And knowing his disciples should remind us to begin with, friends, of our need for his authority alone to serve his mission. Why was Jesus so confident? Why did he never flinch in the giving of his mission to his disciples? Because it wasn't about the disciples. It was about him. It was about what he was doing and what he would do through them in the world. You see, Jesus anchors the life of his followers by his authority, not by their ability. And that's encouraging for us today, friends. When he comes into the room, he shows them his hands and he shows them his side, not so he can have a great show-and-tell session to impress them, but to grant to them proof that he holds all authority over all things. When Matthew gives the Great Commission in chapter 28, he begins Jesus' words within with this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. In other words, Jesus, just as he shows his hands and his sides in the Gospel of John, he says, look, I hold all authority. And it is his authority by which he gives the commission to Christ followers. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? Well, consider how it is that Jesus sources our life in him from our relationship with him to serve his mission in the world for his glory. You see, Jesus and his authority is what brings our peace as we abide in his presence. There is no peace in our life without abiding in him, but when we abide in him, we learned in John 15, what? There is nothing that can take that peace from us. Why? Because he is the one who holds all authority. It is the authority of Jesus that establishes Establishes his peace unshakable in our life. And as we abide, all of our life aligns with him. So, what did he teach us? He taught us that when we abide with him, we come into unity or oneness 
with him and the Father as they are one. And so his authority not only gives to us a peace as we abide, but it aligns our life into the unity or oneness with God the Father and the Son that we might serve his mission in the world. Just as Jesus came under the orders of the Father, by his authority, and the Father sent him by his authority. So as Jesus prepares to send us into the world, he gives us the same authority that secures our peace in him and aligns the life in which we live with his mission. Now that word aligned simply means this idea of commissioned or as Jesus says here in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So this idea of being sent means that we have our life under the authority of Jesus to serve his purpose in the world and his mission by the power of Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus' authority commissions the Christ follower to serve his mission of reconciliation with God in the world by his redeeming work in us. Let me pause here for a moment. Because one of the greatest struggles that I encounter as a pastor is convincing people that God would actually want to use them for his glory in the world. And that's exactly what we are dealing with here, friends. That God, in saving you, wants to send you so that you can carry the gospel and his glory to every person in the world. That's what this is all about. Do you feel, though, at times you can't serve Jesus' mission? That, that you're not worthy to serve the work that God has done and that he's done in you and that he wants to do through you? Friends, I tell you, that's a temptation from the evil one. That's, that holds no truth in it whatsoever. And let me tell you why you can. Because Jesus' authority is on you, his peace is with you, and his spirit is in you. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about what he is doing. You have all you need, Christ follower, to obey Jesus where he is calling you to obey him today by faith and to follow him, to serve him where he's leading. Christ followers live commissioned, sent to love others with the whole of our life in Jesus' name. And it causes us to ask, is my whole life serving Jesus' purpose in this world? Everywhere I go, everyone that I encounter or that encounters me is all of it for him and for his glory. That's the first exhortation that we receive from Jesus today in this first encounter. Well, as we continue, verse 24, we see a man by the name of Thomas that we've already talked a little bit about. And if you're familiar with Thomas, you probably know his nickname too, Thomas the Doubter, right? But here's what we see. Look at me. Uh, look at verse 24 with me. Don't look at me. Look at verse 24 with me. Sorry. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So when Jesus just showed up in the verses earlier, Thomas wasn't in the room, okay? You, you would say, well, where was Thomas? 
Well, let me tell you where I think Thomas was. I don't think Thomas was only a doubter. I think Thomas was a discerner. I think he was a man who was committed to wanting to know the facts and where those facts led to know the truth so he could cut through, that's what discern means, cut through the cloudiness of his thinking and the chaos of his life to know and really get at what was taking place. And to be quite honest, until this time, none of them really knew everything that was going on. And instead of being in the room, Thomas was out in the world and he was pacing, probably nervously trying to figure this stuff out to see what in the world was going on and what does that mean for moving forward now. That's what I believe about Thomas's life. But doubt was prevailing in him. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now this is the conclusion that Thomas had come to. In all of his pacing, and all of his thinking, Thomas said this. I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing that will convince me. And I'll have to put my own finger in his hand where the nail was. And I'll have to stick my own hand in the side where the spear pierced him. And if I can do that, that'll help me discern. But if I can't do that, I won't know. And they're all thinking, dude, we've already done that. You weren't there when we did it. But look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I like how John starts this next sentence. Although the doors were locked. That's good, isn't it? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, What had Thomas said so far? Nothing. Nothing. But listen to what Jesus knows about Thomas. Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Friends, this second encounter reminds us that when God loves us in his perfect abiding loves, he loves us in a way That is true. It is according to his truth. And the exhortation that Jesus will give to us is this. That Christ follower Jesus invites your doubts. To come to him for true faith. I don't know about you but Thomas I hope provides a great encouragement for us. For all who doubt, Jesus invites us to bring our doubt to him. To let him address it with his truth in order to strengthen our faith to believe and not disbelieve. You see, Jesus didn't answer Thomas's questions, Thomas's doubts by dismissing them or diminishing them. Rather, he addressed Thomas as a person of value with truth to resolve those doubts. Not so he could not believe, but so that he would believe. Friends, any question worth asking is worth taking to Jesus to give full consideration 
for an answer. And Jesus answers all doubts with truth that he might build our faith, that he might build our hope, and that we might know his love. You know, the world in which we live loves to ask questions, right? Questions are so important. The older I get, I realize that questions are far more important than statements because they have a way of valuing other people even more than the things that we could say to them or about them. You communicate a lot of things through the questions that you ask, do you not? But you also reveal a lot about yourself in the way that you ask those questions, the way that you pose them. And the world that we live in today loves to ask questions that cast speculation. Oh, you thought that was going to look good today when you put it on, didn't you? And that's just a very light example. But you know what I just said by that, right? But I didn't say it. I asked a question. The world loves to use questions about God that cast speculation and that actually cultivate and breed unbelief. What was Jesus doing to Thomas here? He was addressing his questions with truth so he could believe in Jesus. Don't ever think there's a moment in your life when God is not working through the gospel of Jesus Christ for you to believe and not to disbelieve. You see, when we use doubt in such a way and the questions that it develops to try and prove a solution by the questions they create, instead of allowing those questions to go to Jesus, we misuse that doubt. See, some of you are condemned because you have doubts about your faith. And the exhortation that Jesus is giving to us here is you should not be condemned by your doubts. You should let them drive you to Jesus who wants to answer them with truth that you might believe in him. The problem so often with the misuse of doubt is this, that the questions doubt creates, they may point to something within us like a a place where we don't believe, a, a hurt or a wound that has occurred to us where we've caused speculation about the goodness and the nature of God and we've let that become a foregone conclusion instead of letting it just be a doubt or a question that we actually take to God. We've used our doubts and the question that it creates to keep us away from God. But Jesus is exhorting us today to let them bring you near and find that he's waiting And so the problem is when the questions that doubt creates, they may point to something within, but they never prove anything and they never provide sufficient evidence to dismiss the issue. They only stir it up more and sink it down deeper within us. You see, friends, honest answers, excuse me, honest questions seek true answers. And and see here how Jesus loves people truly, with truth, and and distinctively in relation to doubts and unbelief. The things that Jesus did proved to the disciples that he had authority. But to Thomas, they did so much more. They addressed his personal doubts and questions that were keeping him at a distance from God. 
Friends, Jesus does not condemn us for our doubts. He invites us to come near. He lovingly addresses the doubts of our life to answer our questions and to strengthen our faith with truth to believe. You see, this is important because Jesus is inviting you to bring your doubts to him for truth, to strengthen your faith. And Jesus responds to us with truth. He doesn't dismiss or, or give us, a, oh, you'll be okay, or everything's going to work out fine. You know, we, we throw those half-lit responses to other people so often in a way that, that, that we want to have them believe that maybe we care some about their situation, but so often it's a protective measure so that we don't have to deal with their situation too. And it's not that we're uncaring, we just don't feel like we have what may be necessary to address their situation, to address their struggle or their doubt. But Jesus is saying just the opposite of that. He never dismisses us, friend. He never does anything that reduces the struggle of our life except to invite us in and to address it with truth because he doesn't just want to answer your question. He wants to save your soul. And truth addresses the whole of your person. It doesn't just answer the intellectual wondering or meandering. It doesn't just address the emotional squandering that we so often go through. But rather, when Jesus speaks to us in truth, he addresses the whole of our being. And he does it in such a way that Philippians tells us, often he gives us a peace that prevails even beyond understanding. So when we come near to Him, we can say, Lord, even though I still don't know all that I believe I will know or need to know, I do know this, that You are near. You're addressing the whole of my being in the, every way that He's created us. He speaks to us through His truth. And he brings us into a deeper faith in him. Christ followers now live in Jesus' love when we take our doubts, when we take our fears and our questions that we might know him as truth. That's the very pattern of repentance in our life and, and this rhythm with which we realize the, the, the depth of our own brokenness and even the depth of the brokenness around us, but we don't allow it to create speculation that keeps us away from God, but rather drive us into his presence ever more deeply with him. You see, we as Christ followers, we live as ambassadors of God's love in Jesus Christ. Not only when we live in this rhythm of pursuing him out of our doubts and our questions, but also when we address the world's doubts and the world's questions and the world's speculation in the way that Jesus addresses them with true love. Or let me say it this way, with love, in truth. You know, when Jesus came, it, told, it tells us in John chapter 1 that he was full of what? Grace and truth. You see, true love is both and, not either or. And one without the other is incomplete. It's worldly love. You might get a lot of grace. You might get a lot of truth. But without the other, those are both painful and damaging to us. But when Jesus comes, it's a perfect, complete love. 
The most unloving attitude that we can hold is to be disinterested or inconvenienced by the world's questions and by the world's doubt. A most unloving action that we can hold as Christ followers is to respond to those questions and doubt in a way that is inconsistent with or incorrectly represents God's truth and God's love. And friends, when we do not address the questions, the speculations in the world in the way that Jesus shows us here with his truth, we actually condemn people in sin when truth remains absent from the way we relate and the way that we respond to them. When we say truth is too hard, we downplay the ability of grace to be sufficient in all things. And we say, when we say that that grace is too much, we belittle the power of truth to come through that love to transform as only Jesus can do. We, we cannot separate these things, friends, for Jesus brings them perfectly united. And Christ followers love true when we trust Jesus to respond to the world's doubts and the unbelief, both in the way we respond and with the what of our response. Christ follower, I ask you today, in light of this exhortation, are you loving in truth, with grace and truth, or are you substituting another way that is absent of Jesus as truth? Well, as we continue into the next chapter, chapter 21, we see verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So here we move into this third encounter, and here's what's happened. The disciples have returned to some normal rhythms of life, and they go fishing. So thankful for these verses. I have a verse to validate that. I want to go fishing. Did I say that? No, I'm sorry. I want to go be with Jesus, because the Bible tells me they went fishing. I should go fishing. I'm convinced they were fly fishermen, but I've got to deal with this net thing. I, I, I hadn't figured that out yet. That's for another day, though. You know, it doesn't mean that they were disregarding what Jesus was doing. I, I think, actually, it's helping them recalibrate into a new, new, a new reality for them. I don't think they were disregarding what Jesus had told them to do, but when we read Matthew's account of the Great Commission, we know that verses 19 and 20 begins this way, go and make disciples of all nations. And that first word go is actually a prepositional phrase that literally translated means as you go. In other words, as you live your life, make disciples. That, that's what he's telling us. And I think what John is showing us here is what Matthew tells us in his account of the Great Commission. There were some normal rhythms of life that they were returning to, and it was out of those normal rhythms that God would call them to his redemptive mission in the world to make disciples of all nations. And so they returned to a normalcy of go for a time from which they would implement his teachings of obedience to make disciples. And though they were professional fishermen, I love this too. This is very encouraging because I'm not a professional fisherman. It says they caught nothing all night. Just because you're fishing doesn't mean you have to be validated by catching. Right? Sometimes catching gets in the way. <laughs> Sorry. They caught nothing all night. 
But then it tells us Jesus came to them on the shore and he, he spoke to them and he said, throw your net on the other side. Really? You guys have been out here all night. You're professionals and you haven't put it on the other side? Surely they had. They'd been going back and forth trying to figure out as they spanned all the waters. But for some reason, this guy's calling to us from the shore, telling us to throw our net on the other side. Let's throw it on the other side. And they did. And the scripture tells us that there were more fish in that net than that net should have been able to hold, but the net didn't break. And John knew it was the Lord. And he said to Peter, Peter, that's the Lord. And here it is again, Peter, in all of his glory. He didn't do anything before he dove in the water and swam for shore. They wore long dresses back then, friends. That's heavy weight to swim into the shore. Peter didn't care, though. He swam in. The other disciples came. And look at verse 12, what happens in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Friends, here's the third encounter, that Jesus has loved you most. What do I mean by that? That the way that God has loved you through Jesus Christ is to, as John says in his letter, 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has loved you to the most to tear down every barrier between you and him. There is nothing that stands in the way between you and God. Because of Jesus. That's what Jesus is showing the disciples here. In this encounter where Jesus has loved them most. He is exhorting every Christ follower. Jesus pursues you to source and to supply your life from daily communion with him. And we've talked about serving Jesus' mission. We've talked about taking our doubts and our questions to him. But friends, don't ever miss this, that the first thing that Jesus wants from every relationship is communion. That is the purpose, and that's the demonstration that he gives here. You see, Jesus demonstrates his authority and power yet once again. And why does he do it? Just to remind those disciples, trust in me, trust in me. Ever had a moment? When you know Jesus moved powerfully in your life. I mean, it's one of those moments I've talked about that become markers. Sometimes they're really big stakes that get driven in the ground and you kind of tether your life to it and you remember what God has done in your life because it was such a powerful moment. And, and sometimes those stakes are smaller. They're smaller moments. They're, they're passing statements that somebody makes just off the cuff, but the Spirit goes... Wham, that was for you today. God still remembers you, right? And so it's just a moment that, that you realize Jesus used powerfully in your life. You know, what I want you to see in this exhortation is those are never without his purpose for your life. Communing or abiding with Jesus strengthens us to walk in faithful obedience. Friends, nothing is sweeter than communion with Jesus. I'm telling you, that was the best tasting fish that the disciples ever put on their tongue. 
that morning. Why? Number one, it had been a long night and there hadn't been any fish. And then there were so many fish they couldn't, well, they could count them. They did count them, 153, they said. But man, when they ate the end of that long night, they were with Jesus. And it was so good and satisfying. And friends, that's how communion with Jesus is. That's why Jesus was showing them this. This, this is why Jesus died to forgive and to cleanse us from sin. It's for communion with us. Jesus works to strengthen our faith in what he can do in us and what he wants to do through us as we abide in him. Let me ask you something, Christian. Are you tired and are you weary? Do you sense that times that your net has been cast repeatedly? For life without much catch coming in from it. Jesus wants to remind you whether it's a little bit, little bit of weariness or a whole life of weariness. He, by his authority, will supply for your life in overwhelming manner as you commune with him. You see, relationship with Jesus draws from him in order to share him with others. Jesus doesn't command us just to go do something for him, a great accomplishment, a great achievement, but rather he calls us to himself that what he does in us becomes the very source of what he leads us to do in the world. You see, the one who communes with Jesus knows his power to share it with others. The one that is refreshed by him as living water knows how to share Jesus with the thirsty. The one who has feasted on him as living bread knows how to share him with the hungry as Jesus who is the living bread. The one who has received provision for their life in whatever way is best prepared to share Jesus as the one who meets our every need in life. For the person who sources all of life in Jesus finds a sufficient supply for their every need, not only in their life, but they are convinced so that they are compelled to persuade others that he's got more than abundant for you as well. Rest assured, when Jesus shows his power in your life, He wants to use His work in you to do His greater work through you. But I'll warn you with this as well. If you try to hold on to His work in you and not use it for His glory, what starts as a spiritual high to you will become a pit of spiritual rot in you. That's why I tell you, Christ follower, We serve Jesus' mission of reconciliation in the world by living out of his redeeming work in our lives. What he's doing in you, he wants to do through you. Christ follower, Jesus pursues you to source your life from daily communion with him to share him with others. One last encounter. It's actually a dual encounter, if you will, where we see that Jesus loves 
last. And here's the exhortation that I will unpack for you. Christ follower Jesus gives purpose to life to persevere in faithful obedience. In verse 15, immediately after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and he does what we've called the restoration of Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, Lord, you know I loved you. I'm soaking wet from swimming in to see you. Feed my sheep. Okay, no problem. I can go do that. Peter, 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 Peter. Right here. You're not listening. Do you love me? Peter goes, Lord. <laughs> hey, guys, he, he, he just didn't hear me the first time. You know, he's trying to blow this off. Lord, you know I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Okay. Just got awkward. You just said the same thing twice. Are you okay? Peter, do you love me? Oh my goodness. I've missed it the first two times and it takes a third for me to get it. Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Scholars tell us that likely Jesus is reinstating, redeeming, restoring Peter against every attack the enemy might make from the three denials that Peter offered before Jesus was crucified. You see, Jesus does something in our lives, friends, that the enemy wants to take and use against us. But Jesus gives him no ground for his work in us. How powerful this moment is. And he tells him to follow me and he tells him what kind of situation that's going to lead him to. It's going to cost you your life, Peter. But you're going to willingly give it because of the way it's been willingly given to you. Nevertheless, he says, follow me. And Peter says, okay. What about John? <laughs> I mean, immediately he goes, to, what about John? What about this guy? What's going to happen to him? And we immediately learn that in this most intimate of Jesus' work as he restores Peter, he redeems the failure of Peter's life to give purpose and perseverance and obedience. He calls him to follow him. And then when Peter says, but what about John? Jesus tells him that his purpose for Peter's life is not identical to his purpose for John's life, but both will persevere in faithful obedience to what Jesus had for each one. You see, friends, listen to this. Jesus' purpose and his calling on each Christ follower's life is as individual as his salvation is for your life. And while we will all serve his redemptive mission, the way in which we serve it, and oftentimes the path that we are led down as we follow him will not be like others. We've got to stop comparative living in the church. And just because God calls one to something doesn't mean he'll call the other. And just because he does something with one doesn't mean we should envy them for the work that God does in them. But we should celebrate the grace and truth of God in their life and pray that more of it would be fuller in our own. And we embrace one another in this way when we lay down comparative living and we celebrate a crucified and risen Christ. Jesus gives purpose to life, not so we can go do for him, but so that we have that holding power in our life as he leads us along the road to our own expression of his glory. 
Our guiding prayer then must remain just as our Savior's. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus redeems life to live for his purpose and calling that he has placed upon us to persevere in faithful obedience to him. One more question. Have you failed Jesus? Has there been any way in which you failed the Lord? Surely there has. We've all failed the Lord. Peter, man, comforts me to look at Peter sometimes because I can kind of distract away from my own failures. Remember this in this encounter and in his exhortation. Jesus will never fail you. Ever fail you. He's good. He waits to receive and to restore you to himself. Christ follower, embrace for your life Jesus' purpose and his calling that he's placed upon you so that you persevere in faithful obedience to him. Jesus leads Christ followers to live in his kingdom mission by perfect, abiding love. Would you pray with me?